John chapter 11. well-known passage of the death and resurrection of Lazarus. John chapter 11, and we'll read verses 1 through 46. Hear now the reading of God's word. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. This he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death. But they thought he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Therefore Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, so that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. When she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. 
Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, See how he loved them. But some of them, said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man also from dying? So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus? Come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Therefore many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. Pause just another minute to pray. Father in heaven, please send us your spirit. Comfort us amidst our own grief as we read of this account. Help us to know the power of your resurrection through Jesus Christ, in whom we pray. Amen. Do children often ask the very best theological questions? And I've found that at times in which I am emotionally raw and vulnerable, I start to ask childlike theological questions. How would God act at a funeral? What makes God cry? God knows everything. Does God know what suffering is like? And of course, these childlike questions are answered through the chapter that we have just read, John chapter 11. And it is astounding to stop and think that, yes, God is all-knowing and transcendent, 
but that he stepped into this world, that he became a man, that he knows suffering and grief firsthand as one who experienced it. One of the astounding things about the New Testament is that it is written by different human authors. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, the Apostle Paul gives us something of a, a theology of Christian grief. He writes to the Thessalonians and he says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. That's those who have died in the Lord. We do not want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. You see what is there in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, written by the Apostle Paul, is precisely what was illustrated and demonstrated by Jesus Christ in John chapter 11 in the Gospel of John. Grief, real grief, no shame over the grief, not stoicism, not a stiff upper lip, not a refusal to show emotion, real grief, but not a grief without hope, not a grief that caves to despair. And at the same time, not a hope that cancels out grief. So what I want to do this morning as we look at John chapter 11 is just look at these two aspects of it. The hope that is here in the, this chapter and the grief that Jesus himself demonstrates. The God who knows suffering. It's a stunning chapter for so many different reasons, but it kind of begins on a very interesting note that Jesus is well aware that Lazarus is sick and that Lazarus is, is going to die. Though he could, in theory, go sooner and save him, he's been working miracles throughout his ministry in this particular instance, it is very intentional that the Lord delays his coming, that he doesn't show up sooner, that when he, by the time he comes to Mary and Martha, Lazarus has already been dead four days. And Jesus is teaching his disciples, and I always think it's helpful for us when we hear the word disciple to not just think of uh, men in the New Testament who became apostles, but to realize we're, we're Christ's disciples here today. We are learning from Jesus Christ as his disciples right now. The lesson that was appropriate for his disciples back in John 11 is appropriate for us now. And in John 11, verse 4, Jesus hears of Lazarus' sickness, and he says something that must have been head-spinning for his disciples. This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. You see that that is in the mind of Jesus Christ before Lazarus dies in verse 4. 
But if you go forward all the way to verse 40, you see that that is still in the mind of Jesus Christ. After Lazarus has died, we see Jesus speaking to Martha in verse 40, and he says, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And that is a powerful lesson for each of us here, because in so many ways we go to God, and maybe we don't say it in exactly the same way Mary and Martha say it, but both Mary and Martha went to Jesus, who is God, and they said, if you were here, he wouldn't have died. Where were you, Lord? Doesn't that echo the language of the Psalms? You know, why do you stand far off? Where are you, Lord? Doesn't that echo our very grief at so many points? Where are you, Lord? You could have intervened. You're all-knowing. You're all-powerful. You could have prevented this. You could have stopped this. What were you doing? What was so important that you were not here? And we see reason for hope at the beginning and end of this chapter because God has a plan that is greater and grander than ours. He's intentional about things. It's not chance, random. It's actually by God's design and plan. And it is to the end that God himself, your God and mine, will be glorified He delays. He waits. He does the unexpected. He even draws us through what is painful and grievous to ultimately bring us to the point where we are glorifying him and worshiping him, delighting in what he alone can do. The hope of God's glory. There's also the hope of God's love. And again, it kind of makes our head spin, but look at these verses 5 and 6 of chapter 11. I don't think any human author would ever write, mere, merely human author would write these words. It seems to me to testify to the veracity of the account. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Kind of hits you in the face, doesn't it? Jesus loved Lazarus. Jesus loved Mary. Jesus loved Martha. He hears of this lethal sickness in Lazarus, whom he loves. And his intentional response is to delay two days. To not go immediately to the scene. He waits. And you can see here that Jesus Christ, who is God... Has, has the inside track, right? He knows how this account is going to end. He's already summarized that in verse 4. It's not going to end in death. It's not going to just be 
the four days in which Lazarus was dead and, and in the cave, it's going to result in the glory of God. It's going to result in people seeing the power of God through raising Lazarus from the dead. It's going to result in belief. It's going to result in worship. So because Jesus knows that, out of love for Martha and Mary and Lazarus, he delays. He doesn't rush to their aid. He doesn't come to Lazarus on his sickbed and heal him. And it is a reason for hope for us. It shows us there is more in play than our immediate experience. That things do not add up to us, and at points, things that God does hit us in the face. How can this be? Why wouldn't he go and save Lazarus from dying? Because he had a plan at work, a mysterious plan, a, a plan that extended beyond the imagination of his disciples and Mary and Martha, a plan that involved actually bringing them to tears and grief, but was actually a result of God's astonishing love for them. The hope of God's glory, the hope of God's love, And then in verse 43, the hope of God's power. I love so much that before the account of Jesus raising Lazarus, in the chapter before John 11, John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. And the good shepherd, in John 11, verse 43, says, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, come forth. And death doesn't prevent Lazarus from hearing the voice of the good shepherd. Do you see that as a reason for hope? As great of an enemy as death is, as great as an obstacle as it is, as much of an interruption as it is to the relationships that we begin in this life, it has no power over the God-man, Jesus Christ, who conquered sin and death. He's the good shepherd, and when he says, Lazarus, come forth, Lazarus hears the good shepherd's voice giving us every reason to hope while standing at a graveside, knowing that it is only a matter of time before the good shepherd comes and says, come forth. Reasons for hope. But here's what's so astonishing 
maybe another thing that's so astonishing about John chapter 11. You would think with everything we've just covered that there would just be no place for grief. Jesus knows what he's doing from the beginning. He has a plan in place from the very beginning. He's going to show the glory and the power of God. He's doing it out of love for Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He's going to reveal God's resurrecting power to the extent that people look and believe in him. Where's the room for grief? And yet, what do we find? In verses 33, 35, and 38. But this Jesus, who knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, deeply moved in spirit and troubled. If you look at different translations of that verse 38 you see how much difficulty there is in in translating exactly what's going on there different translations speak about jesus being angered jesus being vexed in soul jesus groaning one of the commentators says the expression deeply moved in other literature refers to the snorting of horses as it were, Jesus bristled at the prospect of confronting death itself. Something raw. And it's not just said there in verse 38, uh, verse 33, but in verse 35, of course, we read Jesus wept. And then it's repeated in verse 38, this sort of raw, visceral response to death being deeply moved within him vexed, angered, enraged by this phenomenon of death and we see here that certainly there is hope in the Lord Jesus Christ his hope never wavered this is all part of his divine plan his grief is informed by hope it's a grief that doesn't cave to despair but his hope doesn't cancel out grief either. God comes to this earth, enters into our plight, sees our sorrows, partakes of them, is enraged, vexed, hurt, has this troubled response to death itself, showing us the way God acts at a funeral, showing us what makes God showing us that God himself knows what suffering is, even what it is to suffer as a man. This is a paragraph from an essay called The Emotional Life of Our Lord, which was written by B.B. Warfield. And at various points, he draws on some writing from John Calvin. But I want to read this to you and Hope that it draws you into the emotional life of the Lord Jesus Christ as we see him here in verse 33, 35, and 38 as being deeply moved in spirit, troubled, and weeping. 
John traces for us the movements of Jesus' inward struggle. Jesus, therefore, when he saw Mary wailing and the Jews that had come with her wailing, was enraged in spirit and troubled himself and wept. His inwardly restrained fury produced a profound agitation of his whole being, one of the manifestations of which was tears. The spectacle of the distress of Mary and her companions enraged Jesus because it brought poignantly home to his consciousness the evil of death, its unnaturalness, its violent tyranny. In Mary's grief, Jesus contemplates the general misery of the whole human race and burns with rage against the oppressor of men. Inextinguishable fury seizes upon him. His whole being is discomposed and perturbed, and his heart, if not his lips, cry out, for the innumerable dead, innumerable dead is my soul disquieted. It is death that is the object of his wrath. And behind death, him who has the power of death and whom he has come into the world to destroy. Tears of sympathy may fill his eyes, but his soul is held by rage. And he advances to the tomb as a champion who prepares for conflict. You see, in those words, the glory of the God-man, the glory of the incarnation, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. Come to earth to taste our sadness. He whose glory knew no ends, by his life he brings us gladness. Our redeemer, shepherd, friend. Jesus Christ, who was God and knew the perfect plan of God and the love of God and the glory that it would result in for God, is given to grief recognizing death for the enemy that it is, being the good shepherd and looking not just to the death of Lazarus, but the death, eventual death, eventual funeral, eventual graveside of all of the sheep that die in him, and seeing the grave grief that death ought to bring in us, recognizing that the relationships that we begin in this life are not meant to be interrupted by death, are not meant to come to that sudden end and conclusion. They are meant to go on forever and ever. But death brings us to an interruption in those relationships. 
And the appropriate response is certainly hope in the risen, reigning Lord Jesus Christ who could raise the dead, but also profound grief, real grief, real sorrow, real tears. As we come to the week set before us, the week that God in his plan has designed for us, as we acknowledge that deaths still occur because Jesus is not here with us, as we ask in our own ways, where are you, Lord? We have the opportunity to draw near to this God who entered into a life of sorrow, which included the grief of the death of a loved one. And we see our great high priest. He who was made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. He who was tempted in that which he had suffered and is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Jesus Christ, the man of sorrows who will use this opportunity to draw near to you during this time of temptation, suffering, and grief. And this Lord Jesus Christ, who calls you Christians after his own name and recognizes you as his disciple and sends you into a world that is frequently full of sorrow and grief, that you might grieve alongside one another, but not as those without hope. Father in heaven,